0: And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. Your Texans are back at the top of the AFC South after a 24-21 win in Music City. The real Texans were on show. They'll need to be again in Tampa as it's win and you're in. Playoff football on the horizon but standing in their way is the Big Guava Pirates. Joining us this week on the Turn Up For What podcast is Houston sports personality Mike Meltzer. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing very well. How are you guys? Good to have another Victory Monday. It uh, seems like this, uh, this team, you don't know quite what you're going to get from them. Um, <laughs> but, albeit it was a 24-21 uh, road win uh, in the division, which you'll take. But it was, uh, I thought, you know over the grand scale of it considering the form that Tennessee had come into this game with it was a a great performance on the road at a really really important time in terms of playoff implications
1: yeah I think it was a big win for the Texans because if they had lost the game they would have had to go to Tampa next Saturday and won then taking on Tennessee the following Sunday and had to win that game just to win the AFC South now they're in a situation where their playoff odds go from probably like 60% to like 96 to 98% because they can win the AFC South by either winning next week or the week after or by having the Saints win their next two games. They played against Denver. I thought they would play better against Tennessee. It was more that I think Tennessee's just been the better team for the last six weeks. They came in red hot. They were playing at home in Nashville. I thought the Texans would play better. I did not think they would win, and they got the job done because they made a few key plays – in some critical situations, and they converted in the red zone enough to get a win, and it was without question, considering the stakes, the biggest win of the year.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talked about the red zone there, and I think if you'd have said to me going into this game, would we turn the ball over in the red zone twice with a tight end run it for 57 yards? I think it was the longest run (laughs) by a tight end in in over 40 (laughs) years. So based on that, you know, and then uh, after we turned the ball over with Deshaun, I just think he just didn't quite lead... Uh, Johnson yeah. towards the pylon with the throw, and it, it was it was one of these. one of there was. Daisy thought they start off badly, then Tennessee get the ball deep in their own end zone and uh, or just hit to end zone, and then they find A.G. Brown and a long ball in behind. and I, I thought at that point it was going to be a long day, but certainly yes. the 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 field the field goal block. By by Angelo Blackston was a big one. And obviously the Whitney Merciless um return and obviously the Justin Reed uh, putting his shoulder pad in there to break the ball free. Uh, and an 80, you know, an over an eighty yard return from Merciless, who was due a big performance and a big play because he's been quiet of late. But that was I think that yes. was the point that sprung the game open for the Texans.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. I thought it was it was without question the most important play of the game because it was a true 14-point swing. Because to me, When you include the return yardage, like it's one thing if Whitney picks it off and he gets tackled at his own 15, then it's a seven point swing. But to take it back 80 plus yards and to set up your team that deep in Tennessee territory, that's what creates the 14 point swing. Obviously, the offense needs to come through and find a way to score as they did. But that's just so much yardage on the one play. And I really think that one of the most underrated, maybe the most underrated part of football is just the game script, which means like how the game goes. To me, if Tennessee scores there and goes up 7-0, it changes the way that the game is played moving forward. Just like the previous week, when Kiki fumbles and Denver takes it back for a touchdown, if the Texans were down 7-3 or 7- or they were tied 7-7, it completely changes the way the game is played versus when you're down 14 to nothing. The fact that it goes from 7-0 Tennessee to 7-0 Houston. Plus the ensuing three and out, it just totally changed the direction of the next you know, like two and a half quarters of that game.
0: Yeah, it was good to see Kenny Stills getting uh, two scores as well. I think the. It was showed you on the broadcast and, and uh, Tony Romo does a really good job of, of uh, letting letting your average fan understand some of the concepts that are on the field, yep. both both offense and defense. And I think Stills has been overlooked, I think, sometimes in the in, in Watson when he's when he's going through his progressions. But he's he's been a great addition to this team, and great to see him come up big with two scores, which, as you said, with the big points when going in at the half at at uh, at fourteen zip. That was a big big uh, momentum shifter for the Texans.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Kenny's been a genuinely nice addition. It's weird if you look at his stats, like, he'll have these big games that will kind of be really quiet for a while, and it's kind of like when Deshaun hits him, especially down the field, you kind of feel like, well, why don't we see that a little bit more often? And while he's not Will Fuller, and he's not just as raw explosive as Fuller is, he's not quite that fast, it does kind of make you wonder, even in the games when Fuller does miss, like last week against Denver, why they can't make stills a bigger part of the game plan but certainly on Sunday he came through big
0: yeah it was great to see Fuller back in there I think uh, talking about another big point swing in the game uh the third quarter Tennessee get back on the board um but then the Texans go right down the other end and and find and find Fuller in behind and then it was a bit you know Watson came out after the game and called his his turnover uh dumb in his words um the he uh (laughs) that he coughed up, and that, that potentially was a big, big swing in the game as well. Fourteen points with, um, you know, they're they're on the, you know, they're in the red zone. The window shut tight quickly. It didn't he? Just seemed like he didn't quite loft it in enough um, to the yes. back of the end zone, and uh, and it gets it gets. Uh, it gets flipped up in the air and the, and the linebacker comes down with it. But at that point, again, it looked like
1: Tennessee might threaten to get back in the game. Yeah, it did. Uh, that was a dangerous moment. I mean, you mentioned a few minutes ago the two red zone interceptions by Watson, usually on the road against a good team. You don't get away with those with those kind of mistakes. But And I, I had no issue with the play call in that situation because it was second and goal. They kind of ran on RPO, quick pass over the middle. Tennessee had it well covered. I thought it was on Deshaun, either decision-making or really the execution. To me, as you mentioned, you got to get some loft on that ball. Make sure that the only person who can actually catch it is your receiver in the back of the end zone. Just an unfortunate set of circumstances because, to me, the worst-case scenario of that should have been a field goal which would have put you up 17-7. But ultimately, yeah, the Texans, they got away with the fact that they were able to find a way to overcome those two – interceptions in the red zone
0: yeah i mean it was i I don't know what look they thought they got on the line but certainly uh unless tennessee disguised it um but it it definitely seemed to be three three guys in the area with uh with the the fuller was in but in the back of the end zone. so yeah it was one of those uh, we've got a blackout in the in the uk for uh when it's all when it's on prime time tv here which the, the of the, of the ah. early of the early slate of games so i can't watch the the full game back so i'm reliant on highlights and, and uh freezing freezing frames but it certainly <laughs> looked like uh it certainly looked like it was one he would want back and i think he alluded to that after the game i think in the ensuing drive though although tennessee scored on the fourth down where Tannehill ran it in i thought there was a big difference in in just the gen and the it was the, the phrase on the broadcast and after the game was used about having the team having its edge and even though it took them to the fourth fourth attempt uh, in the red zone for Tennessee to tie the game up it seemed like that the team were just playing with so much better, getting three big stops and in the red zone. Where this defense this season have not been good in the red zone, and it looked like you know that that, that they were in the mode and they were they were ready to to get a result because I thought that was a big point of that and the the secondary coming up big. Garen Connolly gets a big um, break up on third down, and uh, you know yep. there was some good three and outs by this defense, which was obviously you know hugely missing last week in the disastrous outing against Denver.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I actually thought that the fourth and goal, that whole situation, was actually more of a positive for Houston than a negative. Like, yeah, you go get the touchdown ultimately, which is not what you want. But, like, that play is so damn hard to defend, like that naked bootleg to the left. Because think about it. You have to, with Henry, make sure that you stop the run inside. He's obviously going to have the passing option. And on the replay, I saw you know, let's say Adai had committed to Tannehill. He would have left the tight end open anyway, and they probably they would have scored that way. It's just such a brutal play to defend because all 11 guys, considering the quarterbacks and run option, are actually factors in the play, right? Uh, but the fact that they were able to force Tennessee to expend that time to score those seven points, I thought was a good sign for the Texans' defense. And you also mentioned what was, I thought, huge in the game, which was having critical three and outs and four and outs in the first half after Houston goes up 7 nothing after the turnover, and they cash in. Tennessee, 3-and-out. Houston gets the ball, scores a touchdown, 14-0. In the second half, when the Texans go up 21-14, Tennessee goes 4-and-out on their next possession, and Houston gets the ball back, drives down, kicks the field goal. This defense is not going to be good. It's not going to be above average, right? That's just realistic. But what it can be is opportunistic, not just in turnovers, but having like a key stop here and a key stop there, giving the ball back to your offense with a chance to really do something. I think that's what we can, I don't know about expect, but that's what we should hope for against teams like Tennessee and against teams that are better than Tennessee.
0: Yeah. I think all the way like this team is, and it's been a bit of a transition. It was always a defensive led team in Houston. And this yep. season it's, it's turned, it's turned on its head and it's, it's strange and the, if you think about how much this team's changed and actually what you're watching is so different to what we've been used to in the last few years because, you know, Sunday was a great uh, example of it where the quarterback was kept clean, largely apart from Chris Clark, you know, and I think there's as yes. much debate if he can if he can hold up at right tackle him and Rod Johnson rotated in and out. But the, for the large part against a good defensive front... Um, was kept clean, um, whereas actually the biggest reason probably why both the second and the third touchdown by Tennessee, it's particularly the third one where those two guys could have had Tannehill in the backfield uh, for a sack. and Now the weakness of this team is undoubtedly the pass rush.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's just it's hard for them to generate a pass rush right now. I saw you know on Monday Bill O'Brien talked about how it is possible they get they get JJ back at some point here maybe the last week of the season, I think more realistically the playoffs, obviously you have no clue how effective he'll be, you know, what percentage he'll be playing at. Um, And I I do think they have some guys who can make plays. You saw Reeder push the pocket. We know that Jacob Martin can rush the passer from the outside. Amenic you can make some plays. But, yeah, they're not getting a consistent pass rush. And against a team like Tennessee where they have some dangerous weapons where the offense is clicking like – so much of it is about the coverage because they just don't have the pass rush right now to make it easier on those guys on the back end.
0: Yeah, and there's been been uh, discussions anyway. On uh, I've seen uh, online about potentially adding Genarius Jenkins to the to the secondary as well. I think obviously made a bit of a misplaced comment towards a a fan, but certainly if I think back to the game last year we played. Uh, the Giants um, in week two, he was he was yep. he was quite an effective piece. So you know, I think you know Rick Smith always used to say, um, you know, and that he's the guy that gave us the Sean. So I think we have to look back on his his tenure uh, as as a whole fondly. But he has one of his mantras was you can't have enough corners and you can't have enough edge rushers. So you know, I think I think there's definitely a truth in that and potentially Jenkins. Well, it seems between us and and uh, KC where he'll end up but uh, I think you know the more reinforcements it was interesting Lonnie Johnson made a good play on uh on, on the on special teams on fourth down uh, great yep. I mentioned on the podcast last week I'd expected Vrabel able to pull out the bag of tricks as he often does um, he was certainly irate with the media after the game and certainly <laughs> he, he, he wasn't too enamored by his team's performance but um on the back end as well, with Roby playing a hundred percent of the snaps and taking out a rotation, I think that was big. Um, he's definitely our best cover corner, and the and the, the pieces around them with Conley, Hargreaves, and um, and Joseph uh, rotated. So I think I think overall, I mean, the performance defensively. It uh, was great, and as we said, limiting um, the the hundred yard rusher um, in uh, in Derek Henry was just big because you could see what that does to that that offense um, when it takes away their, their effectiveness on play action. Because ultimately, Tannehill has been playing well, but he's still Ryan Tannehill at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you, and it it was nice to see that it was nice to see you, and that they were able to figure out the rotation with the cornerbacks because it felt against Denver to me. I don't know if it felt like it to you that. It's almost like they had too many cornerbacks, and they weren't sure exactly what they wanted to do as far as playing them. I think this rotation against Tennessee made a lot of sense. Like, listen, Bradley Roby is your best cover cornerback, and I don't think it's even close. So there's no reason for him to miss any snaps unless he needs to go out for, like, some kind of rest or he gets banged up on a plate. He needs to be out there 100% of the time. As far as everything else, they like Hargards in the slot. Okay, that's fine. So put him in the slot. And then I think the other one... You know, I don't know that there, to my eye, is a huge enough difference between Joseph and Conley to where I think it does genuinely make make sense to rotate those guys in 60 40 or 50 50, keep each guy as fresh as possible. And then if you need to, which it wasn't really the case on Sunday against Tennessee, if you need to against teams that are more wide open, you know, bring in Lonnie Johnson as well. I think the rotation should be clear. Roby 100%, Hargraves in the slot, rotate Conley and Joseph, and that's the way that you should operate. There should not be this whole, like, uh, I'm trying, like, this is not like some sort of participation plan sort of deal. I think it's very clear cut, especially at the top with Roby, what they need to do with the corner rotation.
0: Yeah, and I think Hargraves, considering he's hardly been in the building for just, you know, a couple of weeks, he's been a good addition to the team. And they've they've struggled, obviously, they, they cut Aaron Colvin at the start of the year. They had. Um, they had they had uh, Crawford the the, um, the the six round pick which they cut all guys that they tried to find to come in and play that nickel spot um, and he and he lo- and he looks like he's he's been a good addition he's got all the measurables big college pedigree so it's it's been it's been a nice addition because definitely it's much needed to cover up the the inefficiencies on the front as we said we stopped stopped Henry running the ball made a big big difference to that offense. Uh, but what was really good to see and what's been the biggest, biggest value pickup, I think, for trading, a, a, albeit I wasn't too keen on trading out a, a third round uh, garden um, in Martins to, to to go into Kansas City. But, Car- I mean, Carlos Hyde has been what an addition, gets a thousand yards, Not only a handful of Houston Texans running backs to ever make a thousand yards. Did it on a touchdown at a big, big point in the game and O'Brien talked about it after. In the press conference, about how vital that drive was at that time, when it feels like the, the other team's coming back into you can march the ball down the field and 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 take a go ahead score.
1: Yeah, that was a huge drive, uh, probably the biggest drive of the game as far as going from start to finish. Because Tennessee had tied it up to fourteen. I'm not a huge believer in, in momentum, but obviously that's a situation where. Like, if you look at the final stat sheet, Tennessee was probably the better football team. They had more yards. uh, They had more yards per play. They won the turnover battle. But the Texans were able to, in key moments like that one, like they go down the field. And I thought DeAndre Hopkins was really the story in the fourth quarter. He had 95 yards exactly. If you look at those two drives, you mentioned the first one, the first touchdown drive. He had a 35-yard catch uh, on a Watson pass to the right sideline. And... You can, I mean, sometimes we analyze football a lot. There are a lot of talking points during the week. Sometimes, you know, you can just simplify things. Their best players, DeAndre Hopkins. They found a way to get him the football on those last two drives. And he was able to, to deliver in what was, as far as playoff ramifications, the biggest game of the season. And that was just a huge drive to be able to go down the field and have no issues in the red zone. First and goal at the 10, you run the ball for a touchdown. That's pretty impressive considering this team has had – They've been largely pretty good in the red zone, but especially on a day like Sunday, it was obviously a little bit spotty. That's very nicely done to not continue to have to execute, but first and goal to 10, bam, you call a nice play. Chris Clark makes a nice block off the left side. Hyde goes running in. That was a huge moment to reclaim the lead at 21-14.
0: Yeah, I think that and the the, ensuing drive after that as well, where where Deshaun was able to march them down the field and get a... And get a field goal, um, and that that was a big a big moment in the game because it got quite tight towards the end, and, and Romo called it out in the broadcast that instead of um, Watson throwing it out of the back of the end zone, he should have taken a an knee, and he would have taken an extra. Um, 40 40 seconds off the clock so it it made it a bit tenser uh, than I think it needed to be and it was interesting O'Brien's word choice as well as he he, uh, likes to always note to the press um, after some accusations of poor clock management that they managed the time quite well but the fact that Tennessee got the ball back and had a chance albeit I'm who Ends the game on a sack. It's a good way to go out for a defense that has limited pass rush, but it was it was uh, tighter, at the, tighter than at the end, I think, that needed to be if they could just yes. take some more time off the clock um,
1: with, with well, some drives. Well, that's what they, what, they sh- what they screwed up was, which I think is an easy fix, is, okay, O'Brien was a little bit oddly too aggressive on that third down. Like, once Tennessee had used all of its timeouts, and it's 3.39 to go, and you're about to make it a two-possession game— the key thing is extinguishing those extra 30, 35, possibly 40 seconds. So to me, even though it sound, it seems kind of lame to just run the ball into the line, but why not? Like, Why not just run the ball in that situation because it's such a short field goal? You're guaranteed in that spot to run the 30 seconds extra off the clock. And as it would have turned out, it basically would have sealed the game after the onside kick. Instead, because you got the onside kick on the plus side of the two-minute warning, they had to run one play, which – by the way, they should have passed and not run in that situation. So, yeah, going back to that, like, I don't, I didn't want Watson to take a sack because where he ended up running was, like, the 15-yard line, and it would have made the field goal more challenging. But I think the play should have been designed more in the center of the field to so a runner pass. It just ends with a running clock. That was their mistake in that situation.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, these, these – uh... As you get into the playoffs or as the games get tighter, these these small these small decisions um you know made a lot and it's something yes, that's interesting that this team's gonna have to build to be you know mature enough and albeit rely on its offense um, to, to to bring it through games because it, it was a good it was a good start, albeit we didn't score in our first drive, but to go fourteen Four fourteen zero ahead was was huge in this game because without that I think potentially you know the with the way this team plays and the way this team's built I think we have to play from in front and and we've we've talked about this on, on podcasts before that that Watson ultimately you know and similar to what Tiger was you know played when when he was at his, in his prime was when he was out in front he was playing his best golf but it's the same with Watson he, he seems to not be able to um to 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 play quite as well when when they're chasing the game and 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 so I think that. How it's really important for this team. Is as we will we'll come on to um, the, the trip to, to Tampa on a, on a Saturday kickoff, um, in the early slate. But th- this team needs to start fast, particularly against a Tampa Bay team, which, despite Jameis Winston's um high turnover number, is very capable of putting up points.
1: Yeah, they are. And I, I, I said this on, on my podcast after the win on Sunday I think this is going to be a super fascinating matchup because. I don't think the Texans have quite played a team like Tampa all season. I don't even know if there's a team that's quite like Tampa. Maybe the closest example would be the Saints in week one, but they're going to run the ball a little bit with Kamara. The Bucs are a team. If you look at this season, Jameis has had over 40 passing attempts in eight of the games so far, and we've only played – 14 games so this is a team that will attack you relentlessly down the field they're not going to waste time trying to you know establish the run they're not going to just donate you some downs because they want to establish some kind of running game now the good thing from a texan standpoint no mike evans i'm guessing no chris godwin so Tampa's is going to be severely compromised when it comes to its weapons on the outside and this does feel like a game where it could be a shootout uh maybe we'll see bad Jameis on saturday where he turns the ball over two or three times in which case i think the texans will win that kind of football game but i just think it's going to be a super interesting game because houston hasn't quite faced a team that's like this that's going to come out and say yeah we're going to go balls to the wall we're going to throw the ball all over the yard and you need to stop us
0: yeah potentially if if chris godwin's out um I think the guy former Penn State uh, wideout has been he's been a good good addition to that team Or he certainly could, since Jackson went back to, over to Philadelphia certainly um come been the focal point of that offense obviously Mike yep. Evans going out with it, the hamstring injury looked like a sore one um in the in the in the week prior you you would think that that potentially the uh, the passing attack would be down, but as you said, that's how Tampa Bay are built. And particularly going on the road, uh, on a on a on a Saturday game, it's a short week for both teams. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough one to try and get out. I don't think it's a particularly good matchup for the Texans, particularly how they are. You know, they've got a a strong a strong defensive front. They're good against the run, and they've and they've got potentially one of the the uh the, the sort of come come back or, or, or come to prominence player in Shaq Barrett who was sort of buried on the depth chart at Denver but now leads this leads the league in sacks as part of a strong defensive unit there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I just looked up the, the point spread on this game because I hadn't checked it before we talked, and I saw the Texans are favored by two, which is interesting. So the people in Vegas feel like on a neutral site the Texans would be about a five-point favorite against Tampa and then probably eight points at home, uh, which seems a little high to me. Like, I thought this game probably would have been – you know, a pick them, maybe, uh, maybe honestly Tampa by a point or so. I mean, I think people think of Tampa and they, we wrote them off like a month, month and a half ago. So I think people are going to be surprised to learn that, like, they know Jameis has thrown for a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns, a lot of interceptions, you know, Tampa's seven and seven, Uh, you know, this is a team that's like a middle of the pack NFL team that actually is relatively explosive. So now on, on the flip side, uh, the Texans should be able to move the ball, especially through the air, pretty well against this kind of team as well. So you got to factor that in. But it's never comforting thinking about the idea of winning a shootout. Uh, but they'll have their opportunities defensively between Justin Reed and the cornerbacks. Like I- I'm imagining that this is a game that you kind of look forward to if you're a defensive back because you know you're going to see a lot of action. And you know that Jameis is going to put a couple balls up for grabs that you can be on the receiving end of.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's always a tough one. I think when you go on the road late in the season, I think they often throw up some some uh, surprising results and it'll be interesting. I think it just um, seemed come through that, that Chris Cosman's heading to IR, so potentially it will be a, a match-up that, that... Well, there um, you go. Um, that a match-up that'll, that'll favour favour the... Te- you know, I can't believe we're saying this, but a, potentially a match-up that'll <laughs> favour the, the Texans' DB room and obviously Hargreaves probably want to go back there with a point to prove and... Exactly, I'm sure, like, I'm sure he'd like nothing more to pick off uh, Jameis Winston because he can be erratic with the ball. But as you said, it's it's high volume throws and um, and it's a, it's a winning winning you're in, win in your really game because ideally the Texans want to be able to try and rest players in the in the final week, providing on on how how the play the playoff implications uh, and fault you know falter out because I think you've got obviously on a short week for the Saints as well. They're playing tonight against the Colts and then they're they're traveling to Nashville to take on the To take on the Titans So if 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 the Saints can do us a favour there After they After they certainly didn't do us a favour In week one In a game that we should have won (laughs) And we've we've got quite a a number of those I think this year That we should have won um, And it's potentially You know Held us back from This team's potential In the playoffs Because I think we've just dropped One too many games Carolina uh, last week against Denver, um, the, the Colts road game that's, protect, that's that's held this team back from an offense that's good enough to, to be an automatic playoff seed, but um, perhaps a defense and somewhat not of a special team that's, that's let it down on the other side of the ball.
1: Well, the, the big thing, I, I think, from a Saints perspective and the Texans' rooting interest is, you know, the Saints play Monday night against Indianapolis. I think they should win that game because in the season, uh, seems to be, like, falling quickly. And, and it should be noted that the, the Colts can still win this division, Uh, if they win their last three games, which they play Jacksonville after this and I think Carolina Week 17. So you just want to make sure that, I know nobody's thinking about Indianapolis, but make sure that New Orleans is able to uh, get this win. And the good thing for Houston's standpoint, if they do lose to Tampa on Saturday, the Saints do have a ton to play for. Uh, They have 10 wins right now and they, you know, the number one seed, the number two seed, those are all in play uh, in the NFC and they have a ton of incentive to go all out and try to win those football games. So that, that's a good thing. That's why the percentages are what they are. The Texans should find a way to win one of their next two. I would tend to think that the Saints will win their next two in a row. I, I certainly have a lot of confidence in them against Indianapolis. Uh, next week is a little bit tougher in Nashville, but I, I think the Saints are one of the, I don't know, I'll say three or four best teams uh, in the NFL, and they obviously have everything to play for right now.
0: Yeah, I mean it. Be I think in terms of in terms of the Saints, you saw them early or early season form. They kind of dropped off when uh, when Breeze went out with the hand injury. Bridgewater comes in. The, you know they they run f- almost flawlessly without him, albeit just not putting up as many points. They haven't looked quite as um, imperious as they have done in times, um, particularly losing losing the other week to in a big a big point shootout um, against the 49ers who then lost to the Falcons. So it's been it's been one of those years. I think there's been a lot of. Kind of upset upsets in the league, but it'll be interesting to see how, how how this Texans team's develop. I think if we can win this Sunday and and not have to to uh, to you know over over exert ourselves in the, in the final week, um, particularly if ten, if Tennessee are out of playoff contention, if they were to um, to to lose to lose that that game and. Uh, I guess <clears throat> against, against the Saints and it'll be it's it's going to be a difficult one to see where these teams end up and t- and in terms of the, the Texans and the playoffs Mike where do you think where do you think this team's got the capability to be obviously with an offense that leads it and a defense that potentially holds it back
1: well I think certainly if you, if you look at the matchups right I think the matchups are super important with uh the with the NFL playoffs and if you're looking at it right now, like I think it's probably most likely that the Texans will be in a situation where they're going to be uh, the four seed uh, in the AFC, right? And so you're probably going to be facing Buffalo in the first round. And I think that's a, that's a very eminently winnable game. You know, Buffalo's got a tremendous defense. We saw that against Pittsburgh. They have ball hawks. They have pass rushers. They have linebackers. It's a super well-coached defense. Josh Allen's a good runner. He's not a great thrower. Uh, But I think that's a very winnable game. Then if you win that game and you're in the 4-5, then you're in a situation where, okay, you're probably going to play uh, the New England Patriots. Excuse me. You're going to play the – you're going to play the – wait, hang on. You're going to play – if I have this right, you're going to play the Ravens in the second round of the playoffs. And you're in a spot where you're probably going to be facing the best team in the NFL right now. I don't think it would be as bad as what happened the last time they played, which was what a final of forty-one to seven. But my big question would be: okay, the Texans' offense obvious, obviously would need to get going and score way more points. But could this defense find a way to stop that absolutely dominant Ravens' rushing attack? I mean, looking at that right now, my my feeling at this moment, talking to you today, would be probably one and out in the playoffs. Probably win the home game against Buffalo or somebody else, and then losing the second round. But this is a team, as we have seen, this team has beaten Kansas City. They've beaten New England. They beat Tennessee. They nearly beat the Saints. This is a team unlike so many Texans teams in the past. With this offense and with this quarterback, I do think on any any given Sunday, they can beat so many teams in this league because of those factors.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to come down a lot to the – Depending on how if Buffalo can go and put a performance in New England, obviously they managed to get past Cincinnati and win their first game, and after after two on the bounce again against the Texans and then Kansas City, so that that will be that will be interesting. And, and Pittsburgh are a funny team as well because obviously if it was to finish today, it would be Kansas City it would host host the Steelers, um, and, and and then it, and then that could, again despite not having Big Ben out for the entire. Or, For the entire year, they seem to have uh, have managed to hold in there um, and be led by a a really, really strong defense. And since they made that trade for Minka Fitzpatrick, that that defense really seems to have come together and are a force and caused Buffalo a lot of problems. They just didn't have quite Enough on offense with uh, Duck Hodges, so it's uh, yeah, you would think the visit to the visit of Buffalo, which I think when you see the support and the and the fans waiting at the airport at, at 2 a.m. for them, you know, they'll bring a, a big, a big travelling uh crowd with them. And that's it, a, a team I think, particularly when we played them last year, a really, really strong defensive unit at all three levels and caused Watson a lot of problems. And we wouldn't have won that game unless it was for the, the Jonathan Joseph pick six. So, Buffalo, yes. don't think it's a great <laughs> matchup for us either, really, when you look at it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there are any really great matchups in uh, the postseason. You could hypothetically see Tennessee again as well if you were fortunate to get a three seed. I think that's probably, you know, unlikely at this point. Um, But yeah, listen, I I think that ultimately to me, a lot of it is who's the opposing quarterback. And if you're looking at all these quarterbacks in the AFC, uh, Josh Allen is somebody I wouldn't necessarily mind going up against in the playoffs. I mean, I think the last time this guy threw for 300 yards in the game was in college. And so... They have a very specific system for the way that they're winning games in Buffalo, and it's one of those formulas that probably doesn't have too much staying power in the playoffs because ultimately they're going to run into an opponent where they just cannot score enough points. And its I think it would be likely that that opponent could be a team like the Houston Texans at this point, especially playing indoors where it's very climate-controlled in January.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's interesting looking at whether put- – potential playoff pitcher and actually the, one of the more desirable op- options is a, is a trip to Foxborough because it, it's been a, a, straight, <laughs> yeah. a strange season uh, for New England just not having the weapons uh, you'd never bet against them to um, to, to kind of piece it together and find a formula for them to win games, whether reliant on trick plays or, uh, you know, or they or they improve the running of the ball, because they certainly seem to not be able to hold up against against the elite um, when it comes to just purely throwing the ball anymore, particularly without Gronkowski, they they, they they've struggled on, on both running the ball and uh, and through the year, and and obviously the Ravens game was probably the low point of the season, where it probably had us questioning everything about this team, its leadership, and its potential, and. I'm sure that would be motivate if you could take one sort of small motivating factor for the, for the, all the players and all the coaching staff would be to go back to, um, to go, to go back to the, the East coast and take, and take on the Ravens in Maryland that potentially they could find a way to, for a bit of redemption and, and, and make it through. But I think it's a tough ask at this stage. And we'd really need the offense to be firing on all cylinders because yeah. it's, it's a, fu- they're a funny team to watch. Um, the Ravens because they don't, you know, they, he has a lot of passing touchdowns and a, and a high, high passing accuracy. I think he's leading the league, Lamar Jackson. But all of his, all of his throws are high percentage that they've schemed up, to, you know, to to suit his skill set, and it's a run, run first team so you know I the problem is we defended the run well against Tennessee because we sold out for runs up the middle um but then you saw when when they broke it outside and that's that's what makes them so difficult to defend against and then the two and three tight end packages they put on for for you know big physical matchups against you know a, 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 against a secondary which invariably can't match up against Hur- Hurst and Andrews
1: yeah, I think that the good thing about, I mean, obviously we're getting ahead of ourselves. You still got to clinch a playoff spot, oh, clinch the division. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I I looking do it forward. You. Yeah, I mean, looking forward, if the Texans are able to face Baltimore again, uh, I actually don't think that losing forty-one-seven is is all is, is that much of a negative from a mentality standpoint. Because if I were a Texans player and they got another shot at Baltimore, then I'd be thinking, okay. We got killed in this place. We lost 41-7. Obviously, they're a really good team. They're probably the best in the NFL. But we can't possibly play that poorly. We know the team that came and played that Sunday is not the real Houston Texans team. Um, You know, it would have helped if they were reviewing pass interference like they are now in that game. Because I think Marlon Humphrey would have been whistled for that uh, pass interference on Hopkins. And maybe that changes the way that game goes. But I think the Texans would be thinking, OK, yeah, this is an uphill battle. We're going to be the clear underdogs in that game. But listen, 41-7, that wasn't us. You know, we can play with these guys and make it hard on them and force them to execute down the stretch. That would be my mentality if I was playing on this team.
0: Yeah, exactly. It all, all, starts, all starts this Saturday when the Texans travel to, to Tampa Bay. So, Mike, thank you very much for your time. Uh, much appreciated. We'll, we'll need to come and join us again sometime soon.
1: Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys.
0: And thanks again for Mike and his time joining us on this Victory Monday. You can follow Mike at Mike Meltzer on Twitter, and I suggest you download the Mike Meltzer podcast. He's talking Texans, but as well as wider sporting issues in the U.S., Thanks again for all of you joining us. Please continue to like, share and review us online and get the word out of, of what we're doing here to all your Texans friends and family. Please check out our website at podcasttexans.com and we'll have all our latest articles and, and, and game reports up on the site there. It's been an up and down season. Where it all ends from here we don't know but what we do know is this team's got the offensive power to hang with the best in this league and when it's going we've got a chance to beat anyone on Sunday We're one win away from the playoff berth and 2019. It's win and you're in for the Texans on 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 Sunday in the early kickoff against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll be signing off for another week on the Turn Up for What podcast. We are Texans. <laughs>